0: All right, church. Well, joy is your compass and Jesus is your destination. Amen. You receive it? All right. Amen. Amen. Let's open up a prayer. Lord, I surrender to your leading today, Father, and pray that you would open our ears to hear your word, Father, and our spirits to receive it and digest it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Do we have our declaration, Tim? There we go. Let's read that together. The Lord will be a firewall around this house, and his glory shall be in our midst. Amen, amen, amen. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Um, I love to count my blessings, and yesterday was uh, my brother Pastor Troy's birthday, and uh, we celebrated with him, and we went um, paintball. We went to paintball. And somebody need to tell me how old I am, (laughs) because like... We were playing, like, one of the games is called Medic, you know? And so I was just like, oh, I'll be, the, who wants to be the medic? I'll be the medic, you know? And the medic is when they run around shooting, whoever got shot, like, has to hit a knee and say, Medic, medic, you know? And so when they call a the medic, the medic needs to go over there, you touch them, and they're back in the game. And I was like, oh, my, I'm like, oh. So I hear people all over the place, like, Medic, medic. And I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, find some place to hide, you know? <laughs> So I get a medic and I run over there and there was just this hole in the ground that I hit and it was like (laughs) I mean chest on the ground knees on the ground Uh, So I'm feeling every ounce of every minute of paintball from yesterday. So excuse me but um, it was just a blessing to be able to celebrate uh, uh, with pastor Troy yesterday. So, um, I just feel blessed. Amen. Um, I actually went hunting for my first time this uh, ever, uh, uh, with pastor Troy. I've done a lot of first time things with pastor Troy. And so, (laughs) um, I went hunting for the first time this week. I actually, I mean, the reality is, is I sat in a tree for two hours That's what I did. I sat in a tree for two hours, and it was strangely satisfying. (laughs) Um, You know, it was just me and Jesus just sitting up there, and, you know, there I was really taking selfies that I'll never post is is what happened up in that tree. And the first day, we were able to hunt, um, but the second day, it rained. You know, Thursday, it rained all day long. And so we woke up, and we moved slow, and we... uh, you know, we, so we hung out in the cabin most of the morning, and then we got up and, and took off, and we just drove around most of the day, you know. I think we're in Southern Ohio. I think we're in, I don't know, Ohio. But um, we just t- drove around and just enjoyed God's creation, and he showed me some other places where he hunted, you know, and that was awesome. And, um, you know, eventually, uh, we, did, we did a lot of talking. There was a lot of moments of silence because we're, we cool like that. We don't, we don't need to talk all the time. Um, and at one point on my way home, we, he asked me about um, my salvation, my testimony. And it was interesting. I, I thought it was weird because he's actually part of my testimony. And so I thought that he just knew all the details, right? But he didn't know all the details because it's my testimony. And so I, I was like, oh my goodness. And so we began to talk about it. And as I was telling my story, like we started to line up like, dates and times and years, and, you know, uh, uh, God just began to show us things that we were just like, were you, where were you this year, and where was I, and, and why were you there, and, and, and how did Pastor Becca and you meet Michelle, and, and why were you guys at lunch that day, and, and God just began to show us how he orchestrated all these events in my life to get me to a place where I could have a meeting with him. It was so beautiful, so beautiful. And by the time we got into my driveway, like, I mean, there was, we were so fired up. I mean, we were so charged up about what God had done and how he brought us together. You know, it instantly ignited this flame that I hadn't felt in a while, in a long time. And, um, you know, what it helped me realize was, it helped me realize the importance of telling our story. You know? Help me realize the importance of telling our story and giving our testimony. No one will ever know if you don't tell them. Nobody's gonna ever know if you don't tell them. And so today I just wanna to talk to you about the power in your testimony. The power in your testimony. Go with me to John 4 28 through 30. And it says, uh, Then leaving his, uh, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And I'm gonna move forward to John 4, 39 through 42. And it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's what? Testified, I'm reading from NIV, so it says because of the woman's testimony, because of her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of of the world. This, of course, is the story of the woman at the well. Now, a lot of things happened before these passages, right? Um, we, we, uh, when this woman has this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, we know that on his way to Galilee, Galilee from Judea, that Jesus decides to make this pit stop in Samaria. Um, and, and this is, uh, by cultural standards, Jews didn't do this. They didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't like the Samaritans, right? They didn't associate with the Samaritans. But how many of you guys know that... that, that Jesus doesn't live by cultural restrictions. He don't live by cultural restrictions that that he'll do whatever he needs to do and go wherever he needs to go just to meet with you, just to meet with you. He'll break down cultural and social barriers just to meet up with you, it don't matter where you at. What's going on, Stanley? We know that he asked this woman for a drink of water but then offers her living a fountain of living water. Right? He asked for a drink of water, give me your praise, give me your worship, and I'll give you living water, I'll give you eternity. I'll give you eternity. We know that he tells her things about herself that no stranger would have known. The town knew, the town knew all about this woman, which is why this nameless woman came to this well alone. It was because of the shame and they ostracized this woman because of what she had done. There was shame on her. Coming to the well was a high point for women. It was a high point, they had an opportunity to come to the well, draw water, and chat it up with each other, right? But she came and she was, she was full of shame. You know, and Jesus told her things about herself. You know, you have five husbands and the sixth man you're with right now, you're not even married to. But what she didn't know was that seventh man Seventh, representing completeness, fullness of life. The seventh man she was running into at that moment. Amen. And Jesus tells her, everything that you've been searching for, everything that you've been searching for ends today. It ends right now. Because the Savior, the the, the Messiah that you speak of, I am he. He sits right in front of her. See, he loves us in spite of our bankrupt lives. He loves you in spite of what you've been through, what you may look like. Now, when she was found, you hear me? I said, when she was found, when she was found, she could have just been grateful about her own salvation and walked away. But the Bible says that she was so eager to tell other people about Jesus that she left what she came there for. She left her own water jar there just to go share this living water with everybody else. The salvation of this woman became the salvation of the town when she told them, I met a man that told me everything I ever did. She told her story, that was her testimony. That was her testimony. But she told him, don't don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it, come and see. Just come on and see, right? You see, it's vital that we share our testimonies because in sharing our testimonies, the salvation of me becomes the salvation of we. Just by sharing your testimony, just by telling your story. She shared her story and prepared the way for others, and when they went to meet him, I'm telling y'all, the blind could see. I'm telling you that sick, the sick were healed. All right, That nothing in their life was ever the same. Can somebody testify to that? Nothing in their life was ever the same. There's power in your testimony. There's too much at risk not to share it. So I want to ask you today, are you are you excusing yourself from witnessing? Are you excusing yourself from witnessing? Or are you urgently, urgently going into town and testifying about the goodness of the, of the Lord? Testifying, letting them know what he's done in your life. So I just want to give you two quick things Two, a couple of reasons why you should testify, why you should share your testimony. All right. A couple of good reasons. First is Jesus encourages it. He encourages it. You remember last week I told you the story about the demon possessed man that, that Jesus delivers, right? And, and when, when, when the rest of the town saw him do this, deliver him from these demons, uh, they got scared. They asked him, man, you got to get out of here. We ain't never seen nothing like that. So they asked him to leave. But not not this man, not this man. He ran up to that boat, didn't he? And and what does it say? He said he asked Jesus to stay and in Mark 5, 19 through 20, it says, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the, the, the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. He's amazing. He's amazing, y'all. He is amazing. We have to stop treating moments with Jesus common. We got to stop treating these moments with Jesus so common. They're not. It's, not a, it's so supernatural, right? He's healing in every moment that you're acknowledging him in the room. He's healing. He's bringing closure to things. You got to start acknowledging him. There's power in your testimony. He's life-changing. And you may be saying to yourself, man, I don't feel comfortable telling my story, right? I don't feel comfortable telling my story. I don't, I don't really know, you know, I don't need people knowing what I used to do. I don't need people all, I don't need people all in my business, right? I don't want these people all in my business, right? But can I tell you something? Come on, let me share something with you right now. That it ain't your business. It ain't your business, this is God's business that we doing today. This is the Lord's business. It ain't our business. Most of the stuff we going through right now has nothing to do with us. Has nothing to do with us. It's about the people connected to us. It ain't got nothing to do with us. It's possibly people that we haven't even met yet. come on. The author and the finisher already has people in queue. They're in queue right now. He's preparing uh, uh, preparing their need right now, a need to hear our meeting. He's preparing that, that they need to hear our meeting with him so their hearts are prepared when they encounter him. They need to hear it. We might think our story isn't exciting enough, but God chose to work in our lives in a particular way for a particular season. For a particular season. We're testifying to his work. So we got a reason to be excited, amen? We got a reason to be excited. We got a reason to count it all joy, y'all. Somebody should be excited in here about what Jesus is doing in your life. Somebody should be so excited today about what he's doing in your life. <laughs> we need to tell our testimony as often as possible because it keeps our initial salvation alive in our minds. It keeps it alive in your mind. Like I said earlier, as Pastor Troy and I began to discuss the events and timelines, we discovered more and more and more how God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. Played I mean how he orchestrated and, and everything things that we couldn't foresee how he was right there the entire time when I was in a pit He was there He was there I Don't know about you. How many pit people we got out here? How many pit folks we got out here, right? Right. I'm telling you today that you ain't in no pit no more. He's placing you in a palace He putting you in the palace today If we ain't careful, I'm telling you, we'll forget that the creator of the universe met us at a well. That he met us at a well and gave us eternity. You gotta be careful. You gotta tell yourself, you gotta remind yourself. The more we tell our story of our initial meeting with Jesus, the more we keep that, that first love feeling alive. Amen. Revelations 2, Revelation 2, 2 through 4 says uh I know your deeds your hard work and your and your perseverance I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false you have persevered and have endured hardships from my name and have not uh I'm sorry have not grown weary yet yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first oh my goodness Oh, I mean, this tells me that it's possible for me to do good work, have patient endurance, not tolerate evil, and even suffer for my faith in Christ and still be missing something if I lost my first love for Jesus. Still be missing something. Like the love of Jesus is what should keep us pressing on in faith. The love of Jesus is what should encourage us to tell other people, right? Maintain that love. Have that desire to just still be in love with Jesus every day. Number two, the Holy Spirit uses it for his glory. He uses our testimonies for his glory. We just got to be willing to open our mouths. Amen. Psalm sixty-six sixteen 16 says, come in here, all you who fear God, and I'll declare what he has done for my soul. Psalm 71, 15 through 16 says, my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I don't know their limits, y'all. I don't know their limits. I will praise him from the mountains. Listen, I'll go in, in the strength of the Lord God and I'll mention of your righteousness of yours only. Holy Spirit will use your stories, use the stories about how God has worked in our past to help encourage others who may be going through something similar. They see hope. They see hope in you. They feel a connection with us. And then because we've already walked through the fire, we can grab their baggage and help them to the cross. Because you've already walked through the fire. Our story can be the key. Your story your story, can be the key to unlock somebody else's prison. God will use your voice. First Corinthians 12, uh, uh, 27 says, now you are the body. Of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. He allows us to be His hands, His feet, His mouthpiece, right? Our our spirit wants to say yes to His yes. Our spirit wants to say yes to His yes. We have no right to be silent. No right. And even though the stories we hear, these are real ordinary people in the Bible that have extraordinary experience with, experiences with Jesus, we can sometimes find it hard to relate to them, right? I don't know about you, sometimes I feel it feel hard to relate to the woman at the well. I feel it hard to relate to the bleeding woman, you know what I mean? I feel hard to relate to Zachariah. What are you doing in a tree, dude? You know, like I feel, I feel hard to relate to those people. But we can relate to real people that we know ordinary people that we know, that had extraordinary experiences with Jesus. We can relate to those people. Their story becomes hope to us. It becomes hope to our families, hope to our coworkers. I just want you to know today that you're qualified. Right, you are qualified. You're qualified to witness You are qualified to witness. When you've had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, you are qualified to witness. It is your responsibility. It's your duty. Witness. You don't need to think like I've got all these things that I need to know, you know, before sharing your, your encounter with Jesus. Your encounter will help them, like I said, when they have their face-to-face meeting with Jesus. Revelation twelve eleven 11 uh, says, uh, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. See, the devil would love to keep your testimony silent. He would love to keep it silent. Our testimony reminds us that the victory's already been won. It's already been won. And it reminds the devil that he's already been defeated. One author said, when we share our testimonies, uh, we're loaning our faith. We're loaning our faith to others. And when we listen to a testimony, we're borrowing faith from others. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was reminded of a testimony that I heard before I received Jesus before I asked him into my heart and I had only known him for a couple of hours and Pastor Troy said man wait till you hear this dude can you share your testimony with with Marlon and we had only known each other for a couple of hours you know and I'm at this time like before all this happened I'm telling you I didn't know Jesus from Jimmy but I I was like okay I'll, I'll listen to his testimony and It was a testimony that when I was going through what I was going through like I didn't see hope anywhere I didn't see hope it was it was darkness it was ashes it was all around me I didn't see hope anywhere and then I listened to this testimony and after I heard it I thought I need to know this man with holes in his hands that loves you so much I need to know it and so I just want you guys to buckle up and welcome Pastor Mike up here
1: love you, brother. I love you, too. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good. Did anybody have the sheer pleasure of experiencing the Sunday morning drivers today? <laughs> so, Pastor Trina came a little early to get the donuts and stuff, and so I got some extra time with myself, and, and you know, I'm all prayed up, right? I'm all prayed up in my truck, ready to come to church, and... I get up to the intersection, and the car pulls up, another car pulls up, and so, you know, in a good mood, I'm in a good mood. I'm like, oh no, please go ahead. Boy, was that a mistake. <laughs> so, this car full of wonderful soldiers of the Lord are probably on their way to, to church. Four little, oh, senior ladies, should I say, right? <laughs> And their hair was perfect up. And, and so, oh, they smile, and then they go in front of me. And I swear to God, I thought they ran out of gas. I was going to get out of the car and push them through the intersection. <laughs> like, oh, no. So then I catch myself, hey, can you go a little faster? What's going on? And so I, I realize the enemy's like, you know, well, let me see if I can throw him a little curveball. Can that get his blood pressure going? so instead of getting out of the car and pushing them through the intersection or honking the horn. I'm like, okay, awesome, mighty warriors of God, be blessed today on your, on your trip, however long it takes you get to get to the corner church. <laughs> be blessed. So, uh, you know, it's funny. The enemy has a way, and, and he always, always, always will try to steal your attention. And do you know why he does that? The enemy does that because you were created... In God's image and created to have fellowship with God. So, if we come from a place that our whole creation was in the image of God and we are created to have fellowship with Him, He didn't need us, He wanted us. We never deserved it, and it didn't matter because that was His purpose. So, we're created in the image of God with the whole purpose to fellowship with God. And then you got this dirty old dude named Satan. He comes around and tries to steal our attention. So before you know it, this person that is meant to be the image of God and dwell in the house of the Lord and feast at the banquet table that God has prepared for us, before you know it, our attention gets stolen. We go this way, we go that way. Before you know it, we're like a mongrel dog eating the scraps off the floor under the king's table. Well, see, the king prepared a banquet for us. The King, our Father in heaven, created a banquet table for us that we're supposed to sit at the seat with him and partake in his feast. And on the table, he has anything you could ever wanted in life. And abundantly. And even more. More than you could think of. And he created to to enjoy it with you. But there's this, Grungy old dude named Satan that works 24/7, 365, to try to steal your attention off of the banquet table. And before you know it, we're satisfied, scrounging through life, eating the scraps off the floor. So when I was prepared to, preparing to tell my testimony, and you know I'm a fisherman, so I could tell it, I could tell the story. You know I caught the fish. It was this. I don't know how big it was. <laughs> But uh, I'm not going to do that with this story because this is his story, really. But as I was preparing for this, God always tells me before I share my testimony what he wants me to do with it. And specifically, he told me that my children were made in my image to have fellowship with me and unless we find that relationship that first thing that we're supposed to find is relationship with him if we don't find that if we don't find that connection with jesus our roots they never get strong and so what happens is that when the wind blows we'll go anyway you know the wave tosses to and fro and our root system isn't strong enough to know that we are the son and daughter of the Most High King. That we sit, and our Father's in high places, just making things happen for us in our favor, hoping that we'll glance up and say, hey, Father, thank you. Just longing for that relationship. So he says, I want you to remind my children what their first and foremost thing they are to do. Invite me into their heart. Grow their roots down strong so that they can be ready because the enemy will come to kill steal and destroy that's the first thing the second thing he told me it's funny when he talks to me i mean he lays it right out i have no i have no denying or doubting of what he's telling me and uh, he said generational curses i want you to speak the generational curses this testimony is to bring my children to me find their relationship with me strengthen their roots Give them a base in me, and I want them to break off things that maybe their parents or their parents' parents or whatever have blessed them and give, or blessed them with these curses and given them, and they've come down the family line. So that isn't my words; that was his words. Generational curses in the Bible says that you know follows the bloodline down three and four generations. Now. The sins of a father follow the the generations on three and four levels. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean the sins of the father. It could be the mistakes of a father. It could be that the father's roots weren't planted strong, and he tried to do what he could do, but got sidetracked, and maybe he wasn't a good dad. Maybe she wasn't a good mom. Maybe they didn't know any better. They never had Jesus to help them. But regardless, they made hurts in your life, that follow down to you and whether you like it or not, you kind of pick them up because you're used to it and you follow them down to your kids and then your kids pick it up and they run with it and you might even hate it, but you still do it. That's like a a child of an abusive household will probably abuse. They don't want it. It broke their heart. It was miserable for them to live through it, but it was implanted on them and that curse follows it down until the blood of Jesus sets you free. Okay, so listen, that's from God. If that speaks to you today, that's what he wants me to set free. And before we start, I just want to make sure that our hearts and our minds are open. So if you could bear with me, we're going to play a little song, Tim. We're going to play a song. And listen, if you are ready, I'm going to come by and I'm going to touch and agree with you. Listen, I'm, I'm open to my relationship first and foremost with God. I'm open to the roots in Christ. And I'm open to cutting off anything that's going to hold me back from my destiny. A sitting at the table with the king at the banquet and not eating the crumbs off the ground. Okay? We good? All right. So I'm going to come around. Touch and agree if you want to. Only if you feel comfortable.
2: Ain't seen a cloud in forever over me to But words. I believe your rain is coming mm. Yeah, I've been hanging on the high hopes Cause you're the one who's making dry bones come to life You're the light I put my trust in Every word you say is gonna come true You will lead me to the promised land Everything you says is gonna happen Even though I haven't seen
3: it yet I will build a the- boat
2: Yeah I'll do anything it takes With your wind in my sails Your love never fails I'll build a boat In the desert nation When the flood and the water starts to rise Yeah, I'll ride the storm
3: Cause I got you by my side With your wind in my sails
2: Your love never fails I'll build a boat So let it rain I've been running Through the desert I've seen a cloud forever over me, but I believe your rain is coming.
1: Mm. Sometimes you've got to build yeah, a boat. Yeah, I've
2: been hanging on the high
1: hopes,
2: because you're the one who's making dry bones come to
1: life. So Jonah was in the desert, and God told him to build a boat in the sand where it never rains. What did I say? Jonah. Jonah, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Noah was in a... <laughs> Excuse me. Noah was in the desert. God told him to build a boat in the sand where it never rains. It took, I think it was, don't check me on this, but I think it was 75 years to build a boat because God told him to. Sometimes we just got to build a boat. It might not make sense to us. Sometimes we just have to do what God tells us to do, whether things in our life say yes we should do it whether things in our life say no whether it makes sense to you or your friends or your family sometimes we just need to build a boat so into my testimony um... when i was fifteen years old i kind of pushed god out of my out of my life and some traumatic things happened in my life and i lost uh, six friends my freshman year of high school and i got hit by a car and i was put out of sports so my whole Paradigm shift. I went from athlete to to godless heathen very quick, overnight. And um, I left home when I was 16, and I moved down with my grandmother in, in Murray Hill. And I had been going to Murray Hill every summer since I was a little kid, so I knew everybody there. So when I got kicked out of my house, I made a phone call, and a bunch of guys from the neighborhood came down, and picked me up, swept me away. Well. There wasn't much supervision in my in my early years of growing up, and there was a lot of bad influence. And I very easily, without any kind of prepare, parental support, you know, guidance, I very easily was drawn to the the dark side. So I got involved with drugs and organized crime and, and different things. Oh, Pastor Mike, you never did that. Yeah, I did before Christ. So they trained me to do all these different things because that's what the devil will do. And So through my, my late teens, and there was a couple people here that were, well, Tim was with me. Tim could, Tim went through me through the whole, through the whole testimony. Um, but anyways, I got involved with all the wrong people, the people that you don't want your children to get involved with and um, you know started small went big 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 and towards the very end it was very big I, I ran all the the drugs going through Murray Hill and um, just crazy craziness Colombian cartels Cleveland mob and um, one day I was up for had to be like three days but it was three nights I was, I was doing drugs had a big plate full of drugs in front of me and all my friends had you know back then I would call it wimped out right because I was the hard head I had to keep going so three days into a drug stupor I'm sitting there at four in the morning and I hear this voice and the voice says Michael are you ready to stop this life that you're leading and a tear started coming out of my eye because I, I remembered the voice from when I was a kid. I knew who it was. But then I tried to pretend like I didn't hear it. It's like, no, oh, yeah, oh, okay. Back to what I was doing. A couple minutes later, I hear this. You now I'm talking about audible, audible voice. Now is it from three days of drugs or is it, is it God? I'll leave that up to you. He says to me again, Michael, are you ready to leave the life you're leading? I actually get up out of my seat and walk through all the rooms in my apartment to make sure that nobody else is in the apartment with me because I'm not sure I'm hearing things, I don't know. And finally I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. And uh, get some feedback. And um, he instantly sobered me. Now, I was on a three-day binger. I was sobered immediately. So I was in pretty deep, and even though I said I'm ready to stop leaving the life I'm leading, it wasn't like I just stepped out into something new. I mean, I still had relationships, responsibilities, drugs on the street, money coming in, money going out. You just don't walk away from that kind of thing. But God started talking to me every day, audibly. Audibly. Marlon, do you hear me? This is me. This is God speaking. Yes, Father. Start looking around to see if anybody else is hearing the voice as well. He's speaking to me audibly. He's speaking to me in my heart as well. But he's speaking to me just like you're hearing me right now. Every day for six months. Every day. And I'm like, well, why are you you speaking to me? And later on, I found out why. And we'll get to that point. But it just became, um, he had my attention. And what I was doing, I didn't want to do anymore. The escalation was coming more and more, and God showed me, in five or six months, your life is going to change, and you'll be done with this. Now, at the same time, the enemy's working, and he's building these relationships with Colombian cartels. I'm picking up the airport. These guys have big... Moving trucks bringing bricks and bricks and bricks of kilos of cocaine through the through the community, and you think that I was going the opposite way because I'm trying to get out. Next thing you know, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, I'm going to pass through some of that stuff. Bad stuff happened. I was Irish. They're Italian. If you can't tell, my name doesn't end in a vowel, so. <laughs> I stepped on some toes somewhere, obviously. Somebody got their feathers wrinkled. And um, so they put a hit on me. And a deal went bad, and I ended up owing the mobs some money. Not a huge amount, but enough to make them aggravated. So I met with these guys. Now, keep in mind, God is still speaking to me. But I'm still doing these deals that I know I shouldn't be doing because people are pulling me. And so it was just very hard. It was very hard to get out of. And then when I lost the money for these guys, and find out later it was my own guys that set me up because I stepped over somebody's feet, then you don't know who to trust. I really only had God because my guys, I don't know where they stand. Those guys, I don't know where they stand. I mean, these older guys, I used to go to breakfast with them on Sunday, go break bread. And, you know, finds out they're killers. So anyways, we go and have a couple meetings. Now there's a chain of command. You know, you can't do this unless you have permission. You can't do that unless they say it's okay. And Then there's respect. Whether they deserve respect or not, you have to respect them. Because back in the old G days, if, you, if there wasn't respect, boom, you're done. So out of respect, I met these guys. Now, keep in mind, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. I don't want anything to do with this whole scene anymore. But I still have to clean up some loose ends. And uh, so I meet with these guys five or six times. And each time was getting a little scarier. Each time I met with them, I could feel like, you know, Michael, your days are getting closer and closer here. These aren't going well, these meetings and uh the one guy says to me you know you ask well, why do you keep meeting with them, right well my grandmother used to work at corporal's bakery and she'd work from 10 to 2 30 or 3 30 every day and she was an older lady she's my grandma you know so she walked home from the bakery a little slower you know and uh the one gangster says to me hey mike uh We saw your grandmother walking home from the bakery the other day. Boy, she looks like she was in a lot of pain. We were going to pick her up and give her a ride, but we thought we'd give you another chance. Let that sit in for a minute. So I was going to keep meeting with these guys. I got a page. Remember Pagers? (laughs) i dating myself. I got a page. I go to the pay phone. I call the guy. He goes, hey, Magooch." We're gonna to meet tomorrow at ten o'clock. Hey, we're gonna see you. we're gonna have a couple of drinks, talk about things. I'm like, okay. Hang up the phone. I said, Oh, that's it. That's the call. God showed me it was the call. The call was the nicest call I had with these guys in a month. And I really knew it was a kiss of death. And um, this is where it gets this is where it gets interesting. So I go up to my room. And I'm like, these guys are going to kill me. What do I do? Well, I was in plenty of shootouts, but I never killed anybody. If you could imagine the, the pressure and the stress level, it's kind of elevated. And I laid out all my guns on my bed, and I'm thinking, I gotta kill them, or they're gonna kill me. And uh, what really went through my mind, <laughs> like a kid, like I could get the rifle, I could sniper them out from a couple blocks away. <laughs> I could go in with an AR-15 and just shoot up the whole place. And um, I, you know, I'm almost, I, I'm so stressed out, I'm almost at the, the point of lunacy, right? because I know that the rubbers meet in the road. I could screw the door shut on the bar and pour five gallons of gas down the mail slot, light it up, and walk away. But what about their brothers and their cousins? So I'm, I'm up to like 18, okay, 18, 19, I have to kill 21 people or they're going to kill my family. And God told me this, audibly again. Michael i've been talking to you every day for six months for today and why i've been talking to you today is because i want you to go to that meeting leave the guns i had to build a boat i looked at my guns i'm listening to the lord what he said to me train do you remember that's what he said so the Lord goes to me Michael trust in me I I couldn't trust in anybody remember my friends I don't know if they're good or bad my other friends were definitely bad I couldn't trust in anybody except to the one person that was talking to me every day for six months. Now I'm not saying that you know, your testimony would be the same. You know, He'll talk to you out loud every day. It comes to everybody in the way that they understand. Unfortunately, I was this hard-headed kid that he needed to come down and sit with me every day and speak to me. That's how hard-headed I was. So I rolled up the guns in a blanket and threw them in my closet. And I sat on the edge of my bed all the anxiety, all the worry, all the concern, flushed right out. And I even started joking with myself. (laughs) I got to tell this part. So in my mind, I'm like, you better put a clean pair of underwear on. Because my grandmother used to say, hey, listen, you put a clean pair of underwear on, you never know if you have to go to the hospital. (laughs) okay Graham so I'm laughing putting this clean underwear on I'm like and uh, I went to bed I slept like a baby and I woke up the next day and I went to the meeting and I had a couple of people that say hey come on we're coming with you and I'm like no you're not coming come on you know we could do this we can do that and I'm like no we're not gonna do this we're not gonna do that you're not coming I'm going by myself and uh, I go to the meeting the meeting lasted about 32 seconds so I walk into the bar on Memorial Day in 91. The bar was closed. And there's a guy guarding the, the back door. There's a guy guarding the front door. There's my Uncle Deacon behind the bar. And there's this other guy there that I don't know. But he must have been the shot caller. So I come in, like, hey, Mike, sit down. i like, I don't wanna sit down. I don't feel like sitting down want a drink I'm like no it's 10 o'clock in the morning I don't want a drink so they start talking are you gonna pay us back we hear this and that I'm like hey guys don't worry about it we'll take care of it and um, I said just have a little patience and the conversation didn't go too well and the one guy goes hey Mike you want a bite to eat this bar never served food they don't have a kitchen they had a nut hut no kitchen when he said, "Do I want a bite to eat, I was like, oh, no, that was it. That was the word. The other guy behind the bar came out with a 32 and shot me in the head. And um, But, you know, everything moves slow when you're in that kind of situation. So I remember the first time we watched Goodfellas. Oh, my God. It was like a, a year after it happened. Remember when Joe Pesci comes in the back room and he opens the door and there's plastic on the carpet? He thinks he's getting a promotion to be a boss, but there's plastic. When he said, "You want a bite to eat?", my world stopped. And I looked down, and I, I said, "They're going to roll me up in this carpet and throw me in a dumpster." And then I felt this excruciating bang, and it was a gunshot. So he went for my temple, but just before he pulled the trigger. God tweaked my head just a little bit and a bullet hit me here. I mean, we're only talking about two inches away from my head. Hit me here and came out here. And I felt like I hit my Mack truck. I spun around and um, you ever see like, guys can probably relate to this. When you're younger, and you're playing football, you get hit in the nose, you see the white stars, Right? I saw white stars, kind of like Looney Tunes, you know, bang, boom. I saw the white stars going, and before you know it, they didn't stop. Everything turned to white. Then I couldn't hear, and then everything turned to black. I knew I was still standing, but I couldn't see and I couldn't hear. I could feel the warm blood coming down my head, and at first I didn't know if I got hit by a bat, but when I I felt blood coming down my head on both sides of my cheeks, I, I knew that I was shot. And... I realized that there was nothing I could do couldn't see I couldn't hear they had guns I didn't there was more of them than me and um, I started thinking you know everything was running really fast through my my mind and what happened what I felt was this I felt an overwhelming loss that I never, I never (coughs) exceeded to anything. I did a lot of selfish things that were all me, me, me. Get me money, get me high, get me girls, get me this, get me that. I did all these things to satisfy my flesh, but I really never did anything to make a difference. Bless you. And now that I'm sitting there with no more chance, I realize my tick is punched and I, there's no second chances, no do-overs. I realized that that was the end of my legacy. No children, no marriage, no nothing. Lived a selfish life of greed and, and debauchery and, and all the stuff you don't want to do. And uh, this is where it got weird. I saw, and this is my, my vision of hell, because I knew I didn't deserve to go to heaven. My vision of hell was just total blackness, but the biggest thing was total dark, but absence of God. Absence of hope, absence of breath, absence of anything. The absence of God grabbed my heart so hard that there couldn't have been, I mean, 10,000 fiery furnaces couldn't couldn't have matched that pain. And my knees started to buckle, and I realized I was succumbing. I realized I was done. And as my knees buckled, and as I was on my way to the ground, I called him out on what he said to me. He, what did he say, Trina? He called me out and told me, Trust in me. That's how I built my boat. I was trusting in him, not in me or my own understanding. So I said, where are you now? And I let it go. Boy, this is, this is the exciting part. The Shekinah glory of the Lord started at the front of the bar and shot through and grabbed me on the way to the ground. I never hit the ground. My knees had given way, and I was on my way down. I let go of life and said, where are you now? Here I am. Shekinah, glory of the Lord, grabbed me, picked me up, and he didn't just say, Here I am. There was such authority when I heard here I am that it wasn't just, you know, here I am, it was here I am, the creator of the universe, your father in heaven, the one who told you to trust in me. You could lean on me, and here I am. Well, it's not over yet. He restores me back up, and the black goes to white, the white goes to color, and I can see. And then I could hear. Okay, good, I can see and I can hear, but the guy still has a gun. And I'm only like this far away from him. So I look at him and I go, Unk, why'd you shoot me? I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> I was limited in my vocabulary at the time. I didn't know what to say. Why would you do this to me? Well, because that's the nature of the beast, and he was a beast. The flesh will always fail, Satan will always be trying to kill, steal, and destroy. But little did he know that that was the beginning of this, that was the beginning of this testimony. See, God takes our ashes and turns them into refined gold. Okay, how many guys out there are hunters or or enthusiasts with guns? Okay, how many guys know about a revolver? Okay, well, how many times do revolvers jam? Okay, so as I'm looking at him, and I'm only... Now, there's a a 14-inch barb in between us, and this is how far I am from him. And he has this gun pointed between my eyes. And I'm like, "Why, why, why would you do that to me? And now his other guys, and the shot caller says, finish him. Well, I find out later that this guy I used to call Uncle Deacon that I used to go to breakfast with on Sundays was a killer. He had 18 body count in the last year and a half he was out of jail. That means he averaged one life a month snuffing out. Do you think he knew how to pull that trigger? Yeah. Okay, so try to pull the trigger. Okay, now shake that gun because it's not working. That's what was happening. The revolver jammed, he couldn't fire it. So here's, how, here's where it gets interesting. If that wasn't interesting enough, here's where it really gets interesting. So I got a hole in my head and blood shooting out, and I turn around and walk away. You know, real nonchalant, like, that's right, (laughs) yeah. Well, God said, no, Mike, you don't understand, run. (laughs) And so I took a dive, and all of a sudden guns started firing everywhere, and at least that's how I remember it. It's like a Wild Western, in my memory anyways. It could be a fish story, I don't know. Uh, And I get to the back door, and I, I remember, I threw my, shoulder, my forearms up and I, I blew through the back door. I don't know how I actually got out. I made it about 50 feet. Okay, now, it's sunshine. I'm coming out of the dark. My eyes are squinting. I got a lot of things going on in my mind right now, right? And I hear, pshh, pshh, psh, pshh, pshh. So I stop in my hurry and I'm like, what is this pshh? And I look back. And there was a trail 40 feet. Every time my heartbeat, the blood shot out of my head like a garden hose. And about five feet up the brick wall, all blood. About six or eight feet further that way, all blood. And immediately when I saw that, I went to shock. Like, oh, I'm bleeding out. I'm not going to make it and my legs stopped working, and I fell on the ground. My arms stopped working, and I'm curled up in a fetal position. I'm laying in a warm pool of blood, and I'm like, God, you didn't bring me through all this to die like a dog in the street. And God said, no, i got far greater plans for you. Stick your fingers in the holes and get up and walk. But I'm in shock, I can't move. My fingers opened, I stuck them in the holes, I got up and walked. It doesn't stop. It, from Trina coming to the hospital, she finds me in the hospital, I'm suctioning myself because I'm, I'm, I'm suffocating on my own blood because the doctors stopped everybody from working on me, and I could hear them say, He only has maybe 30 seconds to a minute to live, just make him comfortable. Say, so Leave me behind a curtain, gurgling on my own blood. I reach down, I grab the suction. I'm suctioning it out, and just then my girlfriend who is such a straight arrow and who I don't share this life with at all, she I try to keep her away from this, and I won't admit to it, no matter what she says, no matter what she asks me, she comes in and says, What the H is going on? <laughs> we get out of there, I go, I get I get flighted, life flighted to UH. And uh, I demanded to leave there. They said, you're not stable enough to leave. And I said, that's okay. You told me I was going to die a couple minutes ago. Get me out of here. And um, so they did. They like, flayed me out, get to UH. And uh, all night, these annoying people keep coming through my room. This one doctor who seems like to be the boss and a bunch of students. All night, I can't get any rest. And I find out in the meantime that after I ran out of the bar, they got on their payphone because there was no cell phones, and they put a hit out on me. Well, the FBI and the DEA had their phones tapped, so they knew they were coming for me, so there was DEA agents at the stairwell and at the door and at the front desk to try to protect me. Really, they just wanted you know, information from me, but I'll take the protection at the time. Yeah, right. And uh, all night, this, these, they kept coming through, turning the lights on, looking at these pictures and x-rays, and Guess how long I was in the hospital? Well, the next morning at 6 o'clock as I was checking out because I had miraculously, I miraculously stabilized overnight and could leave. I'm Being discharged, which is unbelievable, and I say to the doc, you know, I'm still a young kid. I'm a, I'm a dumb kid. I'm like, hey, thanks, you saved my life. Well, this doc stopped me and he goes, listen, you young punk. This is what he was meaning. I don't know if he really said this, but he goes, I don't know any young men coming through here with a GSW to the head that were up to any good. But if you don't believe in a higher power, if you don't believe in God, he goes, you should now because all night I brought through every one of my students, case medical, through there, we were trying to, we, were trying to, we couldn't put together how the bullet zigzagged through everything in your head. I couldn't surgically pull the bullet through your head and cause less damage. My students and I were perplexed, and I had to wake them all up and bring them down here to see this. Why I take the time to tell you this is because this. God is real. He told me to reach out to you guys today. I already told you what it was. That first most, he, he created you for relationship. Right. That should be primary in our life because if our primary relationship is with God, then everything else falls in line. If our primary relationship is with God, our heart, the love that we can feel from Him, flows through to our children, it flows through to our neighbors it flows through to our family he said he wants the roots to be strong so that when the time does come when the enemy does attack you you'll be strong enough when those when those horrible tragedies happen in life you'll be strong enough to withstand and the next thing is the learn things that were passed down that keep dragging us back. You know, those things that we learned, unfortunately, that weren't a blessing in our life from people that we loved or respected, but they were on the wrong, they were the wrong thing. Whether it was a sharp tongue, maybe it wasn't you were, they didn't share love with you like they should have, they didn't encourage you, they didn't nourish, uh, they didn't have an environment of, of love and compassion, Or maybe it was violent. Who knows what it is? It's all garbage. But God said He wants to break you from that. And the only way you can break a generational curse is by the blood of Christ. That is it. My grandfather was a gambler, womanizer, alcoholic. My father was. Came down to me, took a bullet in my head. Don't make it take a bullet in your head. Took a bullet in my head and then the blood of Jesus to cover me. So I'm here to give my testimony to encourage you today of what God put on my heart that he wants you to have. We touched and agreed. I shared my dirt in my closet with you. Not because I like to tell stories, but because I like to see people saved. I like to see people encouraged. I like to see them strengthened. And I like to see them have new life in Christ. Now, here's what I ask in return. You know, all through the Bible, they built altars. You know, wherever the tribe of Israel went, they built an altar. Their altar was three or four bricks, three or four rocks. What it was was a stand. I stand. I come in commitment. I come in union with you guys, and we stand for something. This is where we honor God. This is where we receive God. This is, where, this is an anointed place. So, I'm going to open up the altar. And if you want to come up and get a blessing, if you want to just touch and agree, if you want to call this your altar, you're going to build a boat. You're going to put an a, a altar up here that you're going to say, Father, I'm going to meet you right here. I want you to, I want you to grow those roots in my life. I need you more. I, matter of fact, I need you more than I realized I need you. Yeah. I've been a Christian 25 years, but you know what? I need fire. I need that relationship one-on-one more than ever. I have some stuff that keeps falling down for my parents that I just can't seem to shake. But you know what? I'm going to come up here and I'm going to meet you up here and I'm going to let it go. I'm going to bring it to the altar one more time. So I want to invite Pastor Marlon, Pastor Michelle, my wife Trina, come up. And I want to encourage you guys, don't let this moment go away. Stand strong. Build a boat. Let's go. Thank you.
4: you
0: we love you. We adore you, Jesus. We just want to be in your presence, Jesus. Before we leave out, I just want to give everybody an opportunity. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Do me a favor, church. Just bow your head. Stand with me. Bow your heads and and just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart. Transform me. Make me brand new. Holy Spirit, lead me. Guide me. I declare from this day forward, I'll live for you. We thank you, Jesus. If that's the first time you ever said that prayer, I just want to say welcome to the family of God. He's truly amazing. You know, the the root word in Hebrew, testimony, means do it again. Do it again, Lord. You know, it takes you back to that, that time, like I said, when you first fell in love with Jesus. So this week, just ask Him, do that again. Take me back to that time where, where I fell in love with you, Jesus. When you held me close, take me there, do that again. I pray family this week that you wake up every day and that you your desire is just to be in the face of Jesus, just to see him every day, amen. So I wanna thank all of you guys for being here. Thank you, Pastor Mike. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I don't even know what else to say about that, but thank you so much for sharing with us today. I thank you guys for being here. We look forward to seeing all of you next week. Remember to live right, love everybody, and pray hard. We love you.